to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. It's a lovely Saturday afternoon. The sun is shining brightly. I've got my German beer in my Nintendo of America mug. <laughs> and it's time for Radio Trivia. This week we have Jonathan Metz with us. Hi. It's been a long time, Johnny. Hi. Hey. So uh, I know already this is going to be an awesome show because I took probably 10 hours in total preparing for this thing. That's insane. I did when I suggested these the games that I suggested, I didn't I mean for it to take that much work for you to get them ready. Uh, maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't 10 hours. Maybe it was 5 hours, but uh it's still a lot of time. But that's only because uh the music's just so damn good. It's it's so hard to choose, you know. Good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. That's right. So, uh we got 5 games as usual and um I apologize in advance if I can't play all the awesome songs from uh, from these games. With that, we're going to move on to the first game. So that song probably sounded sort of familiar, but not totally familiar to people, which is a good place for it to be. Yeah. Yeah, I love that song. That's a great song. (laughs) Thank you. 
I was going to say, that seems to be looping. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that's looping, because there was harmony there in the middle where I thought it was going to loop. Yeah, yeah. That was new, so yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out in no, post. It's all good. But, uh, yeah, very beautiful. <clears throat> yeah, I've been playing this game, and that song, I don't recognize it, so I guess it's something for me to look forward to as I continue through it. Um, maybe it's the, the combination of kind of, you know, synthesized harpsichord and organ, but there are parts of that song, at least that almost sound like a really slowed down version of something Bach would write. <laughs> it, it has kind of a churchy vibe to it, you know? Okay. It's a little more chipper than I, I would expect from a, 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 you know, a church song, but okay. You know, that era at least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Johnny, um, why don't you ask the question of this game? Oh, sure. What eventually happens to the two different overworlds? Overworlds? Hmm, that must be a hint. Hint, 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 hint. That's a song that I know very, very well from playing the game. It's one that you'll hear a lot if you ever make your way through Final Fantasy V. Advance! Yes, uh, this is a Game Boy Advance uh, game. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, Square Enix uh, really got the hang of uh, the GBA by the end of its life and really able to squeeze out some really good quality audio, mm-hmm. um, which is great because, you know, the last thing you'd want to do to a Final Fantasy game is, is just sort of butcher the the soundtrack, bringing it over to a portable. The lovely classic music. I mean, music that is so iconic throughout the entire series that last year in 2012 uh, Square Enix released a game that's a rhythm game that's based entirely around Final Fantasy soundtracks called Theatrhythm and uh, and it's a it's a really fun game especially if you ha- you know already love this music um, and I'm hoping that some people might even have gotten tipped off to this game's identity just from playing Theatrhythm even if they're not as familiar with the, with the game itself but, you know it's, it's funny I've never played this game before I don't think you've ever seen it in action um, I haven't played uh, Theatre of Them either, um, and yet I know the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's probably because I've heard it played somewhere, or I have it on my iPod, because I have just famous video game music on there. I have some <laughs> Final Fantasy collection. So it's like, oh yeah, I know that song, even though I never played the game. And, and I was like, well, is it from another Final Fantasy as well? No, probably not. It's probably just <laughs> that it's well known in Japan. It's just seeped into the culture. Yeah, it's it's a really good soundtrack. I don't know that it's my favorite of the you know the Super NES Super mm-hmm. Famicom trilogy of four, five, six, but you know, like many other aspects of of this game, the music kind of sits in a weird place between four and six. It has a lot of the same kind of instrumentation as four, but I feel like a lot of the compositions uh, are less bass heavy. Four had that sort of infamous slap bass yeah. that was used in the battle music and in other parts of the soundtrack as well. Um, you know, which even comes up in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. You know, in the movie. Um, so that's really iconic, and I think they mo- mostly get away from that. They introduce some more piano elements and some more uh, sort of string sounding stuff. And then overall, I feel like the compositions sound a little bit closer to six in terms of being uh, really minor and in some senses more sad and morose sounding. Yeah, definitely a slower soundtrack and, mm-hmm. and a lot of like melodies and counter melodies. It's just more layered, you know? Yeah. Especially like you, know, you listen to the that second song where they sort of layer on more and more as, as the song progresses and eventually have, you know, some counter melodies in the background. Harmonies. It's just harmonies and, you know, you didn't hear quite as much of that kind of complexity in Final Fantasy IV. Right, right. Yeah, FF4 was a very early Super NES game. So um, by the time they made FF5, it was a lot later. In fact, it was so late that in America there was a concern that, you know, it it looked too much like 4 and that people wouldn't be interested in it. Uh, the game is a lot more advanced than 4 in many ways. Um, I don't think I prefer it. I think 4 is definitely still um, my favorite of the two just in terms of the story and the way that the characters are handled. But um, there's some really cool gameplay elements that are inspired by 4, but then you know they, they implement them in this famous job system that, that FF5 has and they let you do more things with them. So it, it does get away from the thing I do really like about 4 and 5, which is that the characters have not only unique personalities, but also unique abilities. And so the way that you play the game changes a lot depending on who's in your party. 
Mm -hmm. Whereas in FF5, you essentially have the same party throughout the entire game, but each of the characters is very malleable. You can turn them into lots of different kinds of characters and sort of customize them the way you want. And that is fun in its own way, and it does open up a lot of strategic elements because they can throw a really hard boss at you. And, uh, you know, grinding is usually not the answer. Usually you need to go away, sw shuffle up your jobs, figure out the, the best combination of abilities, go back in there, and you have a completely different result. So that's really interesting, but it also is very mechanical. It force, forces you to, to really dig into the systems, whereas I feel mm -hmm. like in 4 and 6, it's more about getting comfortable with the characters and learning what the, each one of them can bring to uh, your combat strategy. Right, yeah. In, in 4, it's, it's more like you know you have the tool set to beat this guy right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. It's more, what is it you got to leverage with your current party? Right. It's more about maximizing the potential of, of the people you have. So it's all very interesting as a game that is extremely worth playing if you're a Final Fantasy fan, especially. And um, you know, on Nintendo systems, there's still really only one way to play this game uh, in English, which is to get the GBA version. And for a long time, I didn't get it because I thought it was super rare and expensive. And it turns out it's actually not that hard to get. I pulled a copy off eBay or Amazon for about 20 bucks, maybe even a little bit less than 20 bucks, and it's been well worth my money. So uh, I'd say if you're a Final Fantasy fan and you've never played five, um, it's definitely worth looking into. And hopefully it's going to get, you know, I'm sure eventually one day it'll get remade in 3D or, you know, they'll just release it on some kind of a virtual console type service. But uh, the GBA version is a really good way to do it if you still have an old DS Lite hanging around. That's, that's how I've been playing it and it works really well. That's awfully tempting. I'm planning on bringing my DS Lite when I go overseas in a, in a month or so. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and this might be uh, what I bring with me for that. Of course, the Game Boy Player works as well if you still have a working <laughs> GameCube. That's yeah. a pretty good way to play it as well on a big TV. So anyway, it's a, it's a great game, really cool. Um, I'm, I've, I'll, you'll probably hear me talking about it soon on Radio Free Nintendo because I've been um, powering through the end of it right now. I'm playing a lot of it, and I'm getting really close to the end. But um, I think the music is... Um, really kind of underheard, especially here in the West, because the game was never really properly released until much, much later, and it's a very good soundtrack. And the uh, trivia question, by the way, what happens to the two overworlds is eventually you reach a point in the game where this sort of cataclysmic, magical event happens, and the two overworlds, um, which apparently used to be one and had been separated hundreds of years ago, are now reunited, and so they merge together. And it totally screws up your sense of where things are on the, on the world map because now you've basically got the two maps are kind of overlaid. And the map becomes very dense. It's hard to find a specific town because there's suddenly about 12 towns on the map. <laughs> and they all kind of look the same from your airship. Uh, but traversing the overworld and using different vehicles to do so is very much a theme of this game, just as it was in FF4. And uh, it's something that I really enjoy, exploring those overworlds. And so this uh, game is, has appealed to me and very strongly in that way. It sounds like uh, the Tales series kind of aped this, because, uh, you know, in the Tales of Symphonia, there are two separate worlds that used to be one. Hmm. And uh, I think in the sequel, which I did play through, even though it's not nearly as good, those two worlds had, have already been merged together. Okay. Which happens at the end of the first game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I guess this game probably did it first. So yeah, uh, probably so. <laughs> <laughs> Shame on you, Namco, or whatever the company is that makes that series. It's also if you've played uh, Dragon Quest VI, which is probably even more obscure than FF Five. 
uh, but it was uh, remade for DS a couple years ago and is a really good game. But it has a similar theme of sort of somewhat overlapping and yet intrinsically linked overworlds. Um, and uh, it's kind of cool to play those. You know, they're, they're interesting companions. They were made around the same time for Super Famicom. Neither one came to America until 15 years later. Um, so it's a pretty cool story. Worth checking those games out if you're a big uh, 16-bit RPG fan. All right. Well, we're going to move on to the second request here. And this is one Johnny uh, doesn't know I selected. <laughs> Prepare for Bomb Crash. I don't know if that came through on Skype, but there was a really crazy bass instrument uh, <laughs> in that song. 
this this has to be something very recent because it's definitely you know incorporating elements of the dubstep fad which has only been around for a couple of years really in uh in popular culture um not a kind of music that i care for very much <laughs> but uh i know it recently has sort of been cropping up in in the various game soundtracks so i'm guessing this is a pretty new game I'm, I have I have kind of an idea of what this might be based on the sort of overall goofiness and uh, rambunctiousness of that song. <laughs> okay, well here's your hint question, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Which power up can backfire on you if you don't use its second phase in time? Oh, now I know it for sure. <laughs> Thank you. 
for uh, a particular type of video game aficionado, that should have been a really big hint as to what game this is. <laughs> the countdown? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, not so much the countdown. <laughs> Those songs, I'm sure, have appeared uh, on at least one other episode of this podcast. Um, Johnny, do you know what game this is? Yes, this is. I, I knew I had a pretty strong idea after the second song and the hint question confirmed my suspicions that this would be Sonic and Sega. Well, it's actually they left the word Sega out. That's it's right, Sonic they did. and All Stars. <laughs> uh, Sonic and All Stars Racing Transformed for the Wii U, and yep. well, now the 3DS. Exactly. Did you say unfortunately? Oh, the 3DS version is apparently an atrocity. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I won't pick up that version then. <laughs> no, but the, the Wii version is actually kind of fantastic. It is. Yeah, it's really, yeah. really fun. And uh, Mike and I actually played a whole bunch of it the last time he came over to visit. Right, and when we were playing it, I, I really struggled to hear the soundtrack in the background. I don't know if it was the, the levels or just the mayhem that's part of the game. I might have intentionally turned the music down because I find it slightly irritating, or or at least just not not very interesting. <laughs> it all kind of has the same kind of trance-like uh, feel to it, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can certainly understand that. And the, and the sound effects and the character voices um, are probably more prominent as you're playing the game. Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, actually, that third song I picked has kind of a history behind it because that was the song that was playing in the background when I was really like, what, what the hell game is this from? Uh, I, I knew it was a Sonic-related game, but I, I, just, I couldn't quite place it in part because it's a melody of uh, a song from Sonic uh, CD that I think the version only came out in Japan, and Sonic R or Sonic Racing, whatever that Saturn game was. For the Saturn <laughs> which both of which uh, you might know from uh, Sonic quote unquote gems uh, collection for the GameCube. Oh man! <laughs> and uh, actually, I tried to show Johnny that that song was from Sonic CD on YouTube afterwards, but we couldn't get through the horrible first minute of it. It's all intro of like ten nine. Are you on the line? Eight seven made in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it's so terrible. That's why they had that countdown in that song. Because it, it actually is from the game. They, they got rid of the really terrible part, fortunately. Mm. But uh, <laughs> So you were thinking, like, oh, yeah, it's a really good hint because it's a racing game. But uh, no, it, it's in the original version from Sonic CD. Which is not a racing game. <laughs> which is not a racing game. <laughs> okay, that's funny. <laughs> oh. Anyway, uh, th- this game's a lot of fun. I-, I do think I'll pick it up eventually. I, I-, I don't know when, but... It's like it's forty bucks. It's mm-hmm. got a lot of good stuff going for it. I'm, I really can't get into Mario Kart anymore. But this game seems like it has a lot more, uh, as you said in our fan, has a lot more personality, a lot more energy in it. You know, it just seems fresher. I think even if you're not a huge Sega fan, and I'm, I'm really not a huge Sega fan. Um, you, you know, you may or may not recognize all the characters and the different locations that the stages are put on, but. This, the, the tracks are just really weird and fun, and they change every lap, and you're constantly transforming into a, you know, from a car into a boat, into a plane, back and forth. Um, and the, the energy of the game reminds me a lot of Diddy Kong Racing, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably what they were going for. I think they did a surprisingly good job of it. It also has a really good sense of speed, and it yeah, has it does. one of the longest and richest and most interesting single-player modes I've ever seen in a kart racing game. And it's a game that even if you don't have people nearby who would be interested in playing local multiplayer with you, 
um, which is kind of required to get much out of Mario Kart, you know, lately. The, uh, the single player in this game is totally fulfilling, and I think you could easily get your money's worth even if you never even play it online or, or in local multiplayer. Uh, but it has very good gamepad support. You can play the whole game on the on the gamepad. Um, the gamepad lets you play five players in almost every mode in the entire game, including online. And uh, it looks good, it sounds good, and it's cheap. I mean, I, there's really not much to... I mean, I know it was kind of broken when they first released it, but they patched it a couple times, and it runs very, very well, very smoothly now. Uh, I... I give it my highest recommendation, really. If you're looking for something to play on the Wii U, which is likely at this point, <laughs> uh, this game is well worth checking out. And there is a demo on the eShop, so you can try it for free. Yep. Well, I, again, I, I've only played a little bit with Johnny, but that time was, uh, was precious. <laughs> yeah. We made, some, we made some precious memories there. <laughs> Alright, well, we're going to move on to the third game here. So, was there a tr- Oh, oh was there, there, a there was a question. Yeah, so... So uh, w- one of the things this game has going for it is some pretty interesting power-ups. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, one of them in particular that took me a while to figure out how to use <laughs> was the Hot Rod, which yeah, is hot rod. It's sort of like a mushroom, I guess, for Mario Kart, but you have to like basically poop out your exhaust before it explodes. And so uh, if you um, fail to do so, then um, it backfires on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you basically come to almost an entire halt. Well, the cool thing is that you can use it as a weapon. So yeah. the, the idea is that your engine is gets kind of overdriven, and it lets you drive faster, so it gives you the speed boost that lasts about 10 seconds. But at the end of that, you need to push the power-up button again to uh, burn it out. And when you burn it out, it, it shoots out this ring of fire around you that attacks any enemies who are nearby. So it's a, it's a speed boost and a weapon. But if you wait too long to hit the button again, or if you just forget, then uh, then you'll spin out, and you'll probably lose whatever ground that you gained from the speed boost. So there's some strategy to it. There's also a little bit of just kind of timing and paying attention. You know, uh, it's it's really well designed. There's a, a couple of items like that that are very very clever. Yeah, and so uh, now we're going to move on to the third game, which um, was a listener request from. Uh, our good friend Stephen Reich from Madison, Wisconsin, also known as Yoshi1001 in the forums. I love these uh, these old school or retro uh, songs that just kind of end. They don't loop. They don't fade out. They just end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. 
once again. <laughs> Maybe it's supposed to loop, and uh, this uh, emulated uh, soundtrack isn't doing so. I don't. Know. I kind of like it. It makes it punchy, you know. It makes a statement, and then it walks huh. away. It takes his sunglasses off, and it goes, ah, and it walks away. Yeah, actually, that's probably the way it, it is. Uh, thinking back to how the the structure of this game, <laughs> <laughs> there's a little clue. <laughs> So, yeah, so uh, here's a question straight from uh, Yoshi1001. So, um, what foul creature wears an eye patch on one of this game's title screens? <laughs> one of the title one screens. One of them, yes. Hmm. bad rendition of that song actually <laughs> yeah it's it's very faithful to the uh, sesame street theme song can you tell me how to get to sesame street so johnny any idea what game this is <laughs> you know <laughs> my uh my familiarity with sesame street video <laughs> games is pretty thin i have to say so uh i you know it it seems like it, it seems obvious that there would be a sesame street game for nes probably but I can't think of any titles, so uh, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Uh, well, this is one of Rare's finest games. It's <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> it's Sesame Street ABC for the NES, not to be confused with its sequel, Sesame Street ABC 123. Oh, it should have been D-E-F. <laughs> well. They could have gotten so- Russell Simmons involved. <laughs> They probably made this game in like a month. Come on, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this this is one of those famous uh, rare NES games before they were officially affiliated with Nintendo. Right. Right. So uh, there are basically two halves of this game that have separate submenus, and, and the first half is a letter go round or something. I don't know what they call it, but basically there's like a Ferris wheel that goes around, and you have to stop it on the right letter that matches the letter mm-hmm. uh, over to the right or there are a couple of variations so it's you know sometimes it's filling the the missing letter in the word sometimes it's whatever guess the word it, whatever it, it, there are a couple of variations of the really stupid boring mini game uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and the other half is a little little more interesting. It's uh, almost like Pipe Dream or, or something like that, where you're you can choose different tiles and you're kind of making a path. Oh, um, it's like the new Mario versus Donkey Kong game for 3DS. Actually, it did kind of remind me of that when I was looking at the yeah. video. Uh, I think it's kind of freeform. You, from what I can tell, you can place any block anywhere. So basically, you're you're getting a path from uh, Ernie's. Is it Ernie? Yeah, yeah, it's Ernie's uh, rubber ducky. Oh yeah. Um, and so it's, you know the rubber ducky has to come to the the bathtub, and you can do whatever route you want. I think um, hmm. uh, maybe there are a couple of different versions of it, but the version I was looking at, you basically create your own path, and each path has its own little ditty associated with that's like two seconds long. <laughs> it, it's actually kind of cute in in a, in a way. So I, it's almost like a like a music sequencer. In a way, it turns out being like one, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So the music changes depending on how you chain together these different mm-hmm. uh, direction yeah. tiles. Yeah, so it's actually kind of interesting. I mean, I, when, to me, you know, I get bored of it really quickly, but I could see a kid actually being interested in, in this thing as kind of a creative, uh, you know, you know, freeform play activity. Right. Um, certainly more so than the letter go round. I, I assume that the foul character with an eye patch would be Oscar the Grouch. No, it's actually the the rubber ducky, uh, straight from uh, uh, <laughs> Yoshi 1001. He says, uh, no, it's not Big Bird. It's Ernie's rubber ducky. Wearing an eye patch. Which wears several different hats on the Ernie's big splash title screen if you let it sit for a while. Isn't that right, Boot? Weird. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, we had to vent their frustration for making this game somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that we have listener requests because otherwise, Mike, you nor I would never choose this game. No. I <laughs> didn't even know this existed. No, uh, I, I really appreciate the listener requests. You know, like I said, I, I, I probably have a backlog of 60 or 70, but I, I really do uh, pick both old and new. I mean, some of the mm-hmm. old ones are games that I, I've just sort of given up <laughs> looking for. <laughs> you know, I just didn't like them. <laughs> It's part of the reason that I do listener requests over on my Discover Music project because um, it, it's a way for me to learn about things that I didn't know about, mm-hmm. you know, that I would never be able to do on my own. So um, I use the, I use them too, and I, my backlog is probably even worse than yours because each request that I get takes uh, some, you know, ten to twenty hours sure. worth of work to to fulfill. Uh, so I don't get to do it very often. But when I do, it's those are most of my favorite. Uh, episodes of that podcast are listener request shows because those are the ones where I learn the most. It's exciting. If you haven't listened to Discover Music Project, um, please do. Uh, I know it's a little early for the plugs, but it, it really is a fun podcast. You're not going to enjoy every episode. It's not intended for you to enjoy every episode. Right, yeah, that's not really the point. <laughs> you will uh, find some new music you like. Um, I mean, actually, the one I was listening to recently is, uh, is Frank Zappa, uh, which is, I think, from back in October. And that, that was a listener request, and it was probably ever since... I, it was one of the reasons I started the podcast. It was one of the original bands that I had in mind that I wanted to learn more about. And I was just hoping I could find someone, whether one of my friends or some mm-hmm. listener, who could kind of guide me through that. And uh, and it took a long time for us to get there, but that, that show was a real dream come true for me. Yeah, well, I, I was telling you, you know, yesterday, but... Uh, for some strange reason, some of those songs really do remind me of video game music. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I can't quite place it. Maybe it's the fantastical nature of a lot of his songs. Maybe it's there's some more instrumental than, than some other 
bands. It's but, also uh, the kind of wacky jazz feel, I think, which a lot yeah. of early, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but a lot of early 8-bit games mm-hmm. kind of leaned on jazz because they didn't have very good melodic instruments in the in the sound chips, but they could do rhythm, and so they could they could create interesting compositions by using syncopated rhythms, and then putting some fairly simple uh, melodic lines on top of them, and that is one way to create jazz. And, uh, and that might be part of the reason that, you know, that you're hearing those similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, you and I did the Hip Tanaka episode, which was literally, we played video game music, stuff from yes, Metroid and, and Earthbound, and it was awesome. Yep. Well, uh, there's definitely not enough music in that Sesame Street ABC uh, <laughs> to cover all this, so I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be playing more Final Fantasy music in the background right now. But uh, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> And uh, thank you for the request. If you have your own requests, you can send them to typ at nintendoworldreport.com or uh, there is a link to um, the email form on the website. Uh, if you go to the uh, episode um, information page, there's a link in every episode information page to a form, which you can use to email me as well. We're going to move on to the next Johnny request here because uh, we just love Johnny so much. <laughs> yes, we do.
Just a reminder, you do not have to guess on the first song of... Uh, you probably shouldn't in this case. <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks to Radio Trivia Live, where I would... Right now, I'd be getting about 20 p.m. saying Mega Man. Or DuckTales, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> Pays to wait. pretty fantastic music yep yeah it's not the only great thing about it but uh easy to forget it's been quite a while since i played this game it's kind of nice to jump back into it i guess i'll read this question what ill-fitting genre was this developer's speciality on the previous generation of hardware
So good. I think, um, you know, it's one thing to use the kind of classic retro style uh, sound chip instruments and uh, and to emulate the the style of uh, you know classic franchises like Mega Man, but I don't know that it's easy to do those things, and I think it's especially awesome that this game uh, Mutant Muds manages to capture that that tone of of action games back there because it has that 80s style kind of soaring quality to the music that it's it's very uplifting, which is. A great to have as a counterpoint to the extreme difficulty of those games, and Mutant Muds fits that perfectly as well. And uh, and there's something so happy and exciting and anticipatory about the music that you want to keep playing even if you're dying a lot, even if you're getting really frustrated. It's really important, you know, it's something that you see even in um, a game that we've used fairly recently, another sort of uh, faux retro game called VVVVVV. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think Mutant Mud sits right next to it as being, you know, one of the great retro style soundtracks of the past few years. I don't know why I don't own this game yet. Well, so by the time this comes out, we'll be pretty close to the sale on the eShop, so if you're listening to this uh, pretty soon after it launches, this episode of the podcast, you might want to keep an eye on that, because in, in the eShop for 3DS, I believe this game is dropping from $9 to $6? Uh, something like that, but I believe it's uh, near the end of March. This is the last game in the sale. Oh, and okay, I, okay. And strangely, they've announced all the games in the sale and their prices, so anyone who's interested in buying this game now is obviously going to wait. Just going to wait. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I don't know why they did it that way. I, I guess maybe it's a courtesy so that people don't feel gypped if they just bought it. But Yeah, maybe so. But, I mean, $6 uh, for this game is a real steal because there's plenty of content in it in the first place, and then it, it's also going to include the free mm-hmm. uh, DLC pack, right. which adds, like, 20 extra levels to the end. Uh, so there's just tons of great stuff here. It's a really wonderful 3DS uh, download game. And then uh, sometime later this year, probably by the summer, if not sooner, uh, the Wii U version, the deluxe version of Mutant Muds will be out. And that's adding even more levels on top of what's already in the, oh, the uh, handheld version. Um, and I, I don't know how it's going to play without the 3D effect. I feel like that is kind of a big part of the game's aesthetic. But um, looking forward to it. Anyway, it's a, it's a wonderful game. Well, I, I don't know why I haven't played it. I think maybe people... Um, Neil really loves this game, and Neil has a tendency to oversell things. <laughs> and, and so I think that inherently made me a little more hesitant to buy it. But uh, also, there, there are a lot of comparisons to games like Mega Man, which I have mixed feelings about. Would you say this is closest to Mega Man, or what... Which which 2D action game do you feel like it, it borrows most heavily from? I, I think it, it is uh, very similar to Mega Man in a lot of respects, but it's more slow-paced. Okay. Um, it's more methodical, and it, it does require a certain kind of uh, exacting precision from the player um, in terms of, you know, where on the edge of the platform do you launch off for your jump in order Mm -hmm. to make it to the other side. Uh, You have a jetpack, you have uh, a weapon that only travels so far, so there's a lot of judging distances between platforms and between you and the enemy, Um, and there's a lot of timing in terms of trying to jump in between shots in order to get the enemy when he's vulnerable and avoid getting hit because you can't take very many hits at all before you die. So it, it, it actually requires a certain amount of patience, um, and yet there's a timer 
So, <laughs> so it, it can be quite a stressful game, but uh, but it, it's not manic. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is very uh, it's very deliberately paced. It doesn't throw a lot of surprises at you. It wants you to, to see what's coming up and for you to kind of think about the best way to approach it. Okay, good. Because some of the problems I have with those classic third-party action games, you know, like the Castlevania NES games and, and even Mega Man, is that they tend to every once in a while throw out these, you know, you know, screw you type thing. You know, birds coming out of nowhere or, <laughs> or spikes or, yeah. or you know, in Castlevania, the, you know, someone asked me in the forums recently, you know, why... Why don't you like Dracula X? Why don't you like you know classic Castlevania? It really comes down to the controls more than anything else. So yeah, yeah. they're they're very demandingly precise, and yet they're clunky. <laughs> so <laughs> so Meat Mouth doesn't have that problem. No, the controls are fantastic. I mean, I'm not okay. going to say there aren't any surprise pits or you know I- enemies that kind of can shoot you from off screen. It's unfortunate there are a couple examples of that, but. Uh, they're a small part of the game, and it does control very, very well. So I Good. think if you like old-school action games, then for $6, you really can't go wrong with this. It's a big game, and it's really, really good. The graphics and the music are uh, superb. Yeah. And and it really was shocking to see this quality uh, of a retro-style uh, 2D platformer, uh, you know, kind of a run-and-gun, jump-and-shoot platformer come out of a studio that was famous for making first-person shooters on the DS. To, to answer the trivia question, it's really weird to see them go from pushing the DS technology as hard as they possibly could and creating a kind of game that a lot of people felt didn't really quite make sense on that platform, mm-hmm. uh, but doing a, a really surprisingly good job of it anyways. They made Dementium 1 and 2, and then also a game called Moon, and they're, they're all three very atmospheric, uh, you know, they're trying to be scary, uh, they involve exploration in a 3D environment and navigating these sort of Metroid-style maps, and uh, you know having, in a lot of cases, very limited ammo. Um, and you know, it, it's this is a pretty hard left turn for them to go from that to making uh, essentially like a kind of a modern-day uh, successor to, to Mega Man for the 3DS. But they did such a wonderful job of it, and I think it was the since then we've seen other things come out of them like Bomb Monkey and then there's this ATV uh, wild ride game that's coming out on the eShop and we've seen that they they actually um, can branch out into several different kinds of games so and now they're talking about going back and making a new first person shooter for 3DS which you know when you look at how impressive their DS games were uh, it's really exciting to think about what they might be able to pull off on 3DS cool well we have one last game here so uh, we're just going to get started with that. We save the best for last.
Pretty magnificent stuff. Beautiful soundtrack. Yeah. Now, this game alone took me about an hour to boil it down to three songs. So, <laughs> and I know I can't do the game justice. <laughs> I mean, it, when you when you hear an orchestrated soundtrack, it's it's common to hear entire string sections, but I think it's fairly rare to hear a melody performed by a violin soloist like mm-hmm. that one is. Sure. And it really does kind of make it stand out. Um, and uh, it reminds me of certain other games, you know, from non-Nintendo systems, I guess. But I feel like on Nintendo platforms, we haven't had a whole lot of music that quite sounds like this. Yeah, I mean, that, that song in particular uh, reminds me of maybe like the, the credits music for Skies of Arcadia. Okay. I was kind of thinking more along the lines of Chrono Cross. Which has its own kind of weird Caribbean sort of flavor to it as well, or even Celtic in some parts. That that, that uh, Chrono Cross soundtrack is really interesting. Has a lot of strange influences, but uh, you know there there's certain aspects of it that remind me of what we just heard. Well, let's let's have some more of that good stuff. <laughs> okay.
So that's another uh, instrument that I feel like should get a little more attention in video game soundtracks, the acoustic guitar. Really beautiful there. Nice. Yeah, it's a nice kind of duet between the guitar and the violin, which again makes a very prominent appearance in the song. And really throughout the entire soundtrack, it's one of the big themes of the soundtrack is that violin. And it, and it gives the whole, you know, it gives the soundtrack and therefore the game as well a certain sadness, you know, a certain kind of longing that, um, is actually interestingly kind of, um, kind of different than the way the characters and the, the story is written, which is mostly more carefree and kind of adventurous. So it's a really interesting combination of soundtrack with game. I do think that uh, the best songs in the soundtrack really are the, the slower, more melancholy or, or mm-hmm. sweeter songs. There are a bunch of faster ones that are kind of a bit more boisterous as well. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the third song here, I think, is maybe a little closer to that. Um, before we get there, uh, I, I do want to, us to read the bonus question here, or the hint question. Of course. Um, Johnny, would, would you like to do that? Yeah. So, what are the two Xbox 360 games made by this developer before moving on to this Nintendo game? That could really apply to probably a lot of companies, but...
<laughs> Good choice. It's a really cool jazz flute that's almost drowned <laughs> out in this song, but just not quite. Um, it, it's really good. It It is really a, a very cool element. And, of course, uh, you've got that great bass line showing up in there, which is a really nice circular reference to how we started off this episode of the podcast. Well, you know, I like the Munsters, so I had to include the song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this game is The Last Story, and of course the music is composed by Nobuo Uematsu, who is famous for uh, you know, composing the soundtracks to many of the uh, most beloved Final Fantasy games before he, uh, before he, well I think he's kind of a contract worker now, I think he kind of works on various different uh, game series for, for different publishers, but uh, it was kind of a big coup when uh, Mistwalker, um, the, uh, the studio headed up by uh, Mr. Sakaguchi, who you know, created the Final Fantasy series before leaving Square Enix, uh, you know, he got Uematsu to come and, and, uh, and help him out on the last story. It was kind of this great reunion of, of Final Fantasy guys, and that combined with the title, which is a not-so-subtle reference to the Final Fantasy franchise, of course, um, it sort of helped set expectations for the I think the, the level of quality, at least, that they were aiming for with this title. Um, ultimately, the, the last story does not play very much like Final Fantasy. It doesn't really look like it either. But it does, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's better than Final Fantasy has been in a long time. And, uh, and I do think it kind of captures some of the feel of a Final Fantasy game in terms of the scope and in terms of the... Uh, the inventiveness that the series is is often known for, you know, even from one game to another, uh, even through 14 Final Fantasy, you know, main numbered uh, entries in the series, each one of them is notably different from the one before and the one after. Uh, and the last story has a lot of very very cool innovations in terms of the gameplay structures and uh, really the whole flow of the game is very unusual and refreshing. And uh, it's what it's what made it my you know number one favorite game of uh, of 2012 for Nintendo systems. And the soundtrack is a big part of it too. <laughs> I can't add anything more to that. I haven't played this game yet. It's, it's shame on me yet again for not having played this game yet. There's just been so many games. A lot of people haven't played this game yet. It was uh, you know we for a long time it, it was one of those Project Rainfall games that we weren't sure if it was ever going to come to America. And uh, thanks to our friends at XSeed, <laughs> they published the uh, the European version, and uh, and you know it's it's really awesome. It's a very Japanese game, and yet the localization, much like with uh, with Xenoblade Chronicles, is very very English, very British. Um, the the voice acting is really interesting, and the, you know the characters all have sort of their different local. Uh, dialects and um, and so the game ultimately has this very strong kind of European layer on it as well um, and uh, it's just a really cool style really really great game uh, you can get it for really cheap now I think the yeah 30 bucks is the is it 30 I thought it was 40 yeah 30 bucks oh for, a, for a brand new copy of it um, on Amazon or you know any store you can find that actually still carries Wii games uh, and of course it plays great on the Wii U that's how I've been playing it so very much worth uh, catching up with. Well, that's going to have to wrap up this uh, pretty meaty episode of Radio Trivia, I have to say. Um, a lot of good music in this. Um, it's almost unfair. Um, 
<laughs> so I guess this is the last episode of Radio Trivia because you're never going to top this. Uh, <laughs> oh, don't say that. You're going to freak people out. <laughs> no, no. But, uh, thank you, Johnny, for uh, choosing all the games for this episode and being on the show. I, I only chose three of them, but uh, but you're very welcome, and uh, I really enjoy doing this because for me it's mostly a chance to just sit back and listen. Uh, you do most of the work. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> I really can't take much credit for it, but uh, I enjoy doing it, and I uh, hope people uh, are still enjoying the podcast. And uh, I hope they're supporting it with their uh, with their word of mouth and with their listener requests and everything else. iTunes reviews. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Please review us on iTunes. That's right. I always forget to ask that. Mm. Well, you can hear Johnny, of course, on Radio Free Nintendo pretty much every week. Very few exceptions, and mm-hmm. uh, also, uh, as we mentioned earlier, on Discover Music Project, and I'm sure two or three other podcasts that he he pops in and out of uh, on Cross Talk. I should probably mention uh, Box Office Poison, our movie podcast, because that's coming up on the 50th episode, and we're going to be talking about our top five favorite movies of all time. A list that I have never put together before. I have a pretty clear number one, but the the two through five, uh, I'm really a little stressed out about trying to go through that mental process of sorting those out. But it's going to be really fun. And if you've never listened to Box Office Poison, I mean, it's it's done by all these guys who used to be on Radio Free Nintendo. So they're voices that a lot of our you know our radio trivia listeners will probably be familiar with. Guys like Carl and Stan and mm-hmm. Mike Sklens and. Uh, we have a really good time, you know. It's, it's fun to talk about movies. It's fun for me to, to branch out and talk about other things. I talk about Nintendo all the time, <laughs> so it's it's great to uh, get out of that zone a little bit and and uh, explore other media. So I hope you'll check that out as well. Alrighty, well that's gonna wrap up the show. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Bye everybody.
Final Fantasy V Advance is copyright 1992-2006 Square Enix. Sonic and All-Star Racing Transformed is copyright 2012 Sega. Sesame Street ABC is copyright 1989 Children's Television Workshop, Muppets Inc., Sesame Street Inc., Rare, High Tech Expressions. Mutant Muds is copyright 2012 Renegade Kid. The Last Story is copyright 2011-2012 Nintendo Miss Walker. Actually, I tried to show Johnny that that song was from Sonic CD on YouTube afterwards, but we couldn't get through the horrible first minute of it. Heaven! 